for April 12, 2010, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 93. You were the man once, dog. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the left coast of America, I am your host, I am your host, I am your host, Matthew Rather, here with the panel to overthink Summer Movies, Summer Movies 2010. That's uh, what is on deck for today. But first, uh, though it is, uh, we we won't post the podcast till tomorrow morning, Uh, as we record it, it is now Sunday, April 11th. Which is the 159th, uh, 2010, the 159th anniversary of the start of the Civil War, at least according Yay! to... Yay! Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, Happy birthday that response to was you. Inappropriate. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, brother against brother. Happy birthday to you. Uh, at, least this, at least it is according to our, uh, our resident Civil War historian... Uh, Josh, the South will rise again, McNeil. <laughs> so, uh, Josh, Wikipedia, McNeil, my people. Are- <laughs> <sighs> and so we encourage uh, all of our podcasters to come out of their bunkers, uh, their survivalist bunkers, where they are hoarding canned goods and uh, gunpowder. In uh, you know. It's just diet root beer, Matt, for Christ's sake. Lay off for a second. Every and gunpowder, gun uh, preparing for the, uh, the, you know, the, the second coming of the War of Northern Aggression, which began 159 years ago and has not yet stopped. Uh, to answer the question, what is your favorite piece of uh, Civil War-related popular culture? He tried to stay away, but he couldn't. Back by <laughs> unanimous acclamation of the podcasters and the podcast audience, it is Peter Fenzel. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank the Academy for letting me out. Uh, no, it's good to be back. I missed you guys. I missed all of you guys. Um, okay. So the question, the answer to the question, uh, I'm going to, of course, choose the only criterion I know of for uh, choosing the superior Civil War-related pop culture uh, artifact. And that is, uh, which uh, have I spent the most time uh, making out to? And the answer to that would be the movie Gettysburg, uh, because it is like three and a half hours long. Um, just a, a little so hint to everybody. You, so that if you take a what? girl to a, on a date to see Gettysburg, you, uh, you have extra time <laughs> exactly although i don't there's know no, if there's no the time to go to dinner so you get anymore <laughs> i don't know I, I it was a, it's a very long movie it's not romantic at all and i had some very romantic experiences to it and that i feel like that tension really mirrors the tension between the union and the confederacy where really they're just trying to get along you know they're trying to find some way of making things happen but uh you know it's tough because nobody just wants to go have like a a, a date sectionalism legislative session like they want to Really fight it out. I don't know. I like Gettysburg a lot. I like uh, the sort of cast of characters. It's sort of like the greatest story ever told about mustaches. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I stand behind Gettysburg for other reasons as well. Uh, the Jeff Daniels redeeming himself as a serious actor. Um, uh, 
Tom Berenger not redeeming himself, but still doing an excellent job because he had uh, gone so darkly, darkly low in his other work outside of, of Gettysburg. And, of course, Martin Sheen as God slash human authority, which, of course, he went on to repeat in the West Wing for a long time. This is sort of like divine force of, of nature as property. That's a really wonderful movie. And if you haven't seen Gettysburg, uh, you know, sound off in the comments and talk about how you haven't seen it. Um, and we'll spoil the ending for you. Uh, although you could also ask yeah. Pete, my, my only concern with watching Gettysburg as a date movie is the is the danger of Pickett's charge becoming a metaphor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> could, could, couldn't couldn't they couldn't get up the hill. <laughs> Martin Sheen looks at you afterwards and goes, you know, Pete, Pete, where's your army? And you have to look back at him. I have no army, sir. <laughs> Yes, uh, just like um, people off male, males often uh, joke about uh, names for their uh, nether regions. I think a woman should name her Cemetery Ridge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. That was grossly inappropriate. Moving uh, right along. <laughs> proud sorry, son of the proud sorry, Asian sorry, son sorry of I came the, back. <laughs> proud Asian son of the South, Mister Mark Lee. How all y'all doing, podcast listeners? This is Mark Lee, direct descendant of General Robert E. Lee. Y'all might not have known that. I don't talk much about my Confederate history on this podcast. All y'all Yankees are persecuting me. No, uh, it's true. McNeil and I, McNeil and I, both grew up in Alabama and have all kind of crazy stories to tell about it. So actually, that's related to my favorite piece of Civil War pop culture, which is Confederate flag bumper stickers. <laughs> Awful, and they're a good reminder that we're still fighting the Civil War today. Let me give you a, uh, one example, one fine example of this. Um, I distinctly remember this. It was a pickup truck in my high school parking lot. It said, I have a dream. It was a picture of the White House with a Confederate flag flying from it. You, I think you know what it means, what it means by that. Uh, Stay classy, San Diego. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's kind of my kind of left field answer there because actually I'm looking at this uh, short list of uh, – Famous Civil War movies, and I'm I'm ashamed to admit, actually, I haven't seen these. I haven't seen Glory. I haven't seen Gettysburg. I haven't seen freaking Gone with the Wind. I saw like half of it, and uh, and similar to Pete, uh, I, I you know was went out, wind up making out with someone instead of. <laughs> <laughs> what is it with Civil War movies and making out with girls? I don't get it. They get bored, Mark. That's why. That's why they get bored. <laughs> and then he kicked her out of his room and said, "We shall never go hungry again." <laughs> That's why you also watch Willow with them, because they get bored about halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a horrible person. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, moving, moving on uh, to another native – well, no, not native, but another, uh, I guess, what, adopted son of the South, uh, Colonel Joshua McNeil. <laughs> Hi. I, just, I was trying to go northern with that. It didn't really work, did it? Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, no, how, so, are you? how are you? How are you doing? Yeah, so the, so the great irony about Alabama and the Civil War is that the Civil War completely missed Alabama. <laughs> like, Sherman went down through Georgia. The other guys went down through Mississippi. There's actually, like, nothing happened in Alabama, which which is the unofficial state motto after stars fell on Alabama, which is the actual <laughs> for some reason. They had um, to make that up. They had to make yeah, up a story it's, about stars. Yeah, it's like from falling. some song written by someone who's not from the state, uh, much like Sweet Home Alabama, which was written by Georgians. The um, I'm gonna, Leonard, Leonard Skinner was in Florida, weren't they? 
Uh, I don't know. It wasn't Alabama. They were not from Alabama. That's true. But sorry, Continue. some Easterners somewhere. Um, Josh I gotta divides go- the nation into two two uh, categories: Alabama and not Alabama. <laughs> Which is actually how much of the country thinks of uh, the country. Um, the uh, I gotta go with Glory on this one. Simply because I think it's one of very few movies at which it's okay for men to cry. Hmm. Like, I remember seeing, I first saw it, I stayed up really late, I was like eight years old, and like, they're dragging Matthew Broderick and his friends out of, out of the, 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 you know, mud at the end of the movie, and they steal their shoes, and they dump them in the trench, and it's like the saddest thing you ever saw, and I just remember, like, crying my eyes out, and now it's like 22 years later, and it still happens when I see that movie, and I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. Unlike, say, Pokemon, where I wept like a baby. And, <laughs> and it was extremely embarrassing. Yes, yeah, for, yes. for me, too. It's, that you can find it on YouTube, yeah. Yeah, that time, that time you did that was, was super awkward, Josh. Just want you to know. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, all right, moving on to me. I, you know, as a uh, as a person from the West Coast, uh, you know, as a person who grew up in Santa Monica, California, I really was not aware that there had been a civil war until uh, I, I moved east for for college. But um, my favorite, I guess, uh, so uh, from that context, I guess I'd have to say that my favorite. Keep talking. My dearest Abigail, we have no food. My favorite piece of Civil War related memorabilia is the animatronic Abraham Lincoln from the Hall of Presidents at Disneyland. Oh, Cyber Lincoln. He scares me. Uh, He's a Terminator. Who gives, at least when I saw the Hall of Presidents, he was the um, he was the, the final one. He was like the money shot president, you know, where you <laughs> he know, was like you meet, <laughs> I guess the current president is always the money shot president who like gives the final like wrap up. But the emotional high point of the Hall of Presidents animatronic show with cyber every president um, was certainly Abraham Lincoln. Uh, reading part of the Gettysburg ad- Gettysburg Address. So uh, yes, absolutely. Cyber Cyber Lincoln. Uh, I never saw him break down, though that must be traumatic to children <laughs> who you know who see that happen uh, in the course of the um, in the course of the the Hall of Presidents spectacular. Six Emperor Tyrannus. It's Tyrannus. Animatronic Lincoln breaking down is second only to animatronic dog with keys in mouth from Pirates of the Caribbean breaking down. Right. Emotional <laughs> damage. So wait, does the Hall of Presidents literally have every president in it? Yeah, it does. Wow, I've, n- I've never been. Even the they crappy ones? They don't. Yeah. Oh, even the crappy ones. Yeah, even the ones who were in office for like ten days, or the one who was in office for you know two weeks, or whoever it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's actually more active in the Hall of Presidents <laughs> than during William, his presidency. Is that William Henry Harrison? I think it or? is. It is. Yeah. Woohoo! And Matt, the, uh, it's interesting because uh, Lincoln was also the emotional high point of my uh, president flashcards for the AP American History Test. <laughs> uh, it, this sounds saucy. It sounds like a racy story. Tell us oh yeah, it was. You know, <laughs> just after that, it was all downhill. You were making out. You were making out to the flashcards, weren't you? Uh, well, you know, his, we his, history nerds date each other. That's why <laughs> <laughs> you're making out to the flashcards. Why do you think they call them flashcards? 
Oh, hey, hey Squin, uh, Squin in the chat room says, Cyber Lincoln has become self-aware. Run for your lives. Get down. I, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have to send we have to send Cyber Lincoln back in time. To uh, you know, to fight Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer, <laughs> which is why it's a, it's a shame that nobody has everybody said theirs. By the way, I don't want to step on anybody who was going to say theirs, but nobody well, talked about done. the one that I suggested on the back channel, which, which is a hilarious that? one. Uh, Guns of the South. Oh, the Harry Turtle uh, novel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is a crazy thing. Big Neil, I think you introduced that to me back in the day. Oh yeah, it's great. I mean, yeah. it's cheesy and awful, but it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because it's like somebody goes back in time and gives a bunch of AK-47s to the Confederacy, right? Yeah. And South Africans, in order to preserve apartheid, go back and give AK-47s to Lee, thinking that then the U.S. will be their ally in keeping uh, the African population in check. Uh, and how does that work out for him? Um, I actually don't remember. But uh, I always found it amusing that South Africa was the country that discovered time travel first. Yeah, it just struck me as a little far-fetched. That seems super likely, considering yeah. considering their economy. Yeah. Mm. Uh, all right. So uh, that's the panel. That's the question. We're going to jump into summer movies in just a second. But first, you heard I said chat room before. Those are the people watching this podcast being recorded as we stream live uh, the recording and uh, talk with all the viewers in the chat room. Uh, if you want to participate, you can join us every Sunday at uh, 6.15 Pacific, 9.15 Eastern. And we usually only half an hour late uh, after that After that ambitious target that we try to hit. Uh, if you want to participate also, you can email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com or call the voicemail at 203-285-6401 to leave a message. That's 203-285-6401. However you get in touch with us, uh, leave however you get in touch with us leave us uh, your latitude and longitude in degrees minutes and seconds which you can find easily using google maps and uh we will locate you exactly so that other listeners can come and stalk you no i'm not making it sound good i can come pro- make you watch civil war movies and make out with you while <laughs> you're doing it yes we promise that our listeners are universally extremely attractive and uh and they want you bad. They they have a, a Jones for you. Like uh, oh, I was going to do a simile, but I just I just ran out of time. I also uh, I want to make one request. Um, there is a link on our homepage to an audience survey. If you could take five, ten minutes and fill it out. You would help us a great deal. Uh, it's powered by PodTrack, who is the, the ad agency um, that we would use if anyone wanted to advertise on the show so that you know we could start, start making some money off of you. Off of your eyeballs. No, we would not. We would not let it get obnoxious. We still want it to be a good show. But could you help us out? Uh, it doesn't take money. It just takes a little bit of your time. Uh, don't take survey. fame. Don't take no credit card to ride this train. It's strong and sudden. <laughs> it can be cruel sometimes, but it just might save your life. The, it um, actually does take a credit card to ride the train, and you have to sign your ticket when you're on the train. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, it, the URL is overthinkingit.com, and you'll see a big listener survey button on the homepage. For one last point about the Civil War, we return now to Mr. Mark Lee. 
Right. So, uh, you know, the other reason why we're talking about the Civil War on this day, aside from the anniversary of its uh, of its uh, commencement, is the whole dust up over the Virginia Confederate History Month thing. For those who aren't aware of this, the governor of Virginia declared uh, April to be Confederate History Month, um, which in and of itself is kind of uh, odd, for lack of a better word. Um, conveniently forgot to mention the whole slavery, how, how ter- terrible slavery was uh, when he first announced it and took a lot of flack for that. And then sheepishly uh, updated this, updated his statement with uh, the whole slavery thing. But it's just a, a, to me, it just struck me uh, as a really great reminder that we're still fighting the Civil War today, <laughs> basically. Um, I mean, we see it a lot. I think um a lot of what you see is the uh, the the outrage against obama is in some ways the coded racism which is left over from the uh from the conclusion of the civil war and reconstruction and civil rights that all that that's that is a, a a continuing narrative which has its roots in um in the civil war and you know not to get too political but basically that's what we're still seeing that uh play out today which is why it's so it's it remains important to keep talking about the Civil War and its effect and how we uh, how we interpret the Civil War through pop culture, through our collective memory. The it's more you know. Just do, do, to, play do, do, ad- do. to play devil's advocate for a second, Mark. To play devil's advocate. Please, please do. I would say that the fact that the guy didn't even mention slavery reinforces the need for a Confederate History Month. Because clearly people don't know their Confederate history. <laughs> like the governor of Virginia clearly isn't aware that the Confederacy <laughs> was largely based around slavery. So if we have this history month, it'll help promote a better understanding of what the Confederacy was about. And I feel like that will be a positive thing. Okay, Pete, let me ask you this question. <laughs> yeah. We just finished March. How much okay. did you learn about women's history during Women's History Month this year? Uh, any particular woman or like all of them? The anything. Did you learn anything? <laughs> About women during Women's History Month, past no. or present? Did you learn anything about women? No, but one time my friend Brandon and I were watching The Matrix, and Lawrence Fishburne got all angry at one part of it, and Brandon yelled "February" because um, it was Black History Month. But other than that, no. What did I learn about women on, on uh, Women's History Month? Um, not much, unfortunately. Um, yeah, no, these history months, they don't really do anything. These, like, official months of this, official months of that. I guess they don't really teach you much. Pete, now, um, months, let me, months is kind of long. Yeah. Like, it's hard to focus on a month. Mm. I guess so, yeah, if it were a week or something, you know? Plus, my failure to actually learn anything about women is, like, very well documented. So, <laughs> no, uh, what, what were you saying, Matt? Pete, did you learn, uh, did you learn anything about women when you saw Date Night? Oh! Yes, Segway. I did. <laughs> so I went ATVing last night, um, by which I mean I played third wheel um, on, a, on a group that, <laughs> with a couple of fr- a friend of mine who were a couple. We were, I was going to be playing fifth wheel, but the other couple bailed, uh, and the three of us went to go see Date Night, um, which well, I, I really liked. And I know that it got kind of mixed reviews. It, it has its uh, it has its ups and downs. Um, but it raised a couple of questions for me. So Date Night, the premise of Date Night, in case, and I won't spoil anything. Um, the premise of Date Night is that uh, Tina Fey and Steve Carell, and this is the first time that they've worked together in a piece, um, are a married couple that is pretty happy but kind of bored and wants to have like a special night out on the town. Um, and because their normal nights out on the town have stopped being interesting. So Steve Carell decides to take uh, Tina Fey out to New York City because uh, they live in New Jersey. Um, to go to a nice restaurant in Manhattan, Holla. but he doesn't get reservations. Uh, so they uh, instead they steal the reservation of a couple that doesn't show up because you have to make your reservations like a month in advance for this fancy restaurant. So he says that he's another couple, 
Uh, there he says there are another couple in order to get a table, and it turns out that this couple is involved in like some really elaborate like crime related antics and zaniness that causes them to like have a variety of action set pieces in between their like touching discussions of their relationship. Um, and I mean the and whenever it sort of veers in the direction of like this is an action movie for dudes as well as a, ro- a relationship movie for women, uh, it gets pretty stupid. Um, like that, I mean the action sequences are fun, but they're not they're not tied into the story in all that meaningful way. And it kind of like, it's almost like they're almost like fantasies. It's almost like Herman's head where you like move momentarily into this like other reality where the people are fantasizing about the metaphorical implications of what's going on. Um, but, uh, but I mean, the movie's really sweet. This comedy set piece is really good. Um, the conversations I thought, like the actual character-driven dialogue, was really good. The characters are really strong. They're wonderful performers, and it made me think more than anything else in watching it. Um, I was so willing to forgive this movie for the things about it that were bad. Um, you know, the the plot. A lot of it is pretty bad, um, and yet at the same time, like. Uh, I, I, perhaps because, and I think I think it had something to do with the fact that it was a comedy, and it was a comedy about uh, these very strong characters. The fact that it kind of veers off the rails a lot was, was something that didn't bother me. Like it didn't bother me on a sort of emotional, experiential level. Uh, if I sort of disengaged my sort of critical circuits from it, whereas if I'm watching a, a action movie, and yes, there's things about action movies that are thoroughly, thoroughly implausible. But if you start seeing huge departures from causality and like the relationships of things that happen, I'll be like, "What the f?" You know, like this is crazy. But I'm much more willing to entertain that sort of thing from a relationship-based comedy than I am to entertain it from an action movie. And I think that the reason is, going back to some basic stuff about comedy that I like to talk about, um, you know, comedy isn't – this comedy isn't really about people changing. You know, it's about people staying the same, right? And it's sort of my sort of quintessential division between drama and comedy is that drama is about people changing and comedy is about people staying the same. And because it's about people staying the same and it's sort of about the disruptions of a chaotic world, the disruptions of a chaotic plot are, like, less destructive to the artistic mission of the piece. Um, because part of what they're going through as characters is they're being subjected to these sort of vicissitudes of life and chance and disruptions. So if the plot sort of has a meta effect where it supports this disruption, I'm less bothered by it. So like in, you know, say I take like a John Candy movie, like uh, summer rental with like the boat race, right? Like there's a lot of that movie that doesn't make any sense, but I don't, I bear it no ill will, you know, it's disposable, but at the same time, like it's sweet and it doesn't, create this visceral reaction of implausibility. And I think that when you're doing a drama and action movies fit into dramas too, um, you have a more of an expectation that the things that are happening are supposed to be caused by one another and caused by the choices that the characters are making. Um, I don't know. I wanted to bring that up and see if you guys had any thoughts. Whether I mean, when you see a romantic comedy that doesn't really make sense, does it irk you? Um, and the same thing about like other genres of movies. Uh, does it irk you as much or, or less? Well, things that irk me in romantic comedies are less plot points and causality and sort of like narrative and more specific to uh to 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 people changing in unrealistic ways and i guess it's maybe a little bit different than what you talked about pete with your whole comedies about people saying the same versus dramas people changing um but i'm thinking of the whole uh the you know the, the 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 standard narrative arc of a romantic comedy um which has done been done so many times that it just it's it's starting to wear on me where the they get together they uh they have a falling out and they go their separate ways and then they realize they should be together in the end that to me has always seemed uh is is is, is often implausible and and uh for for that to be done it needs to be done right and with various other things going right in the movie as well to make it work um does that make sense? I'm, like, I'm curious, though, to hear, Pete, what you were talking about with this whole, like, the characters stay the same. 
Before Pete uh, jumps back on, I want to, I want to, I want to stay with you, Mark, on that one. It's, it's that place where the the couple breaks up. They are almost invariably become really stupid, awful people during that <laughs> section of every movie. <laughs> like it's clear that, like you know, by head, you know. Having a single 45 second conversation could have cleared up whatever the mistake was that have led, you know, and, you know, it takes like another month of, of grief and agony and, you know, deus ex machina to to bring them back together. So that's where it loses me. I'm like, oh, happy people falling in love. This is, you know, kind of funny and pleasant. And then I hate them. And then when they get back <laughs> together, I still hate them. And that's why I can't really watch them. Uh, I saw recently the horrifically bad Sandra Bullock, Ryan Reynolds movie. Oh, oh my I'm God. sorry. Is that, isn't I'm that sorry. what it's called? That's its title, right? Yeah, that was the working title. Uh, it, then they changed it to super horrific when they released it. Um, yeah, it was, and, and again, just awful people becoming happy in the end, which is sort of not a moral that I'm okay with. <laughs> so you don't like, you don't like, uh, as a Southerner, you don't like watching Civil War movies. Because it's about the awful people. Never mind. Um, <laughs> nah. um, okay, so Mark, so let me see. So your question was, um, it, it was so, about it was about the, the the whole thing about comedy is about people staying the same, and dramas about people changing. Yeah, and I guess yeah. what we see in the romantic comedies, there's this very flimsy sort of uh, you know character development, what passes for character development, and that. But that's not what you're talking about, right? Well, here's the thing. I think that, that – that, and this is one of the reasons that I have a problem. One of the big problems I have with Hollywood comedies in particular, as I often talk about it in terms of the Hollywood comedy tends to betray everything it's about by the end of the comedy. Right, so it comes out with a premise. Right, right. It comes out with things that are true about the characters. You start to see the characters interact in an interesting way, and then all of a sudden, it's like we need a resolution that fits our expectations for what society is supposed to be like. And then somebody grabs the emergency brake and pulls it, and the whole thing like veers off to the right. And my classic example of this is Hitch, right, which right. is a really charming comedy about a guy who's like fairly cynical about romance and relationships who is in is a great relationship with a guy who's like in love and wants to get with this girl, right? And so they have this interplay, and they're learning things about each other. Um, I feel like it would be a better – and then they, like, so this idea of comedy in this situation might be there's some sort of disruption to this order, and then they come back to the regular order, right? Um, the regular sort of social order is restored. But in that particular movie, the regular social order isn't everybody is in love and everybody is happy. The regular social order is that like love is this sort of cynical or you know physical romance because it's sort of more cynical than that. Like getting a girl or whatnot is this very sort of cynical thing that you can use as a means to an end for stuff, and that – that's sort of like a fact about the world, right? So it, it re- repudiates the the um, it repudiates the premise that it's built on, and that's not how you do a comedy, uh, at least in my in my opinion. Um, in, I mean, in my personal opinion, if you are going to do this whole thing where you're breaking down society and building up at the end, then you have to have similar values at the end than at the, as at the beginning. Um, and so, what I hate about movies where people fall out of love and then fall into love again. Um, is if they if the circumstances that they started out with um, point in no meaningful way towards them ever falling in love, then the comedy doesn't work for me, and it becomes just a bad drama, right? It becomes like a sort of bad, sappy drama with a lot of like fart jokes in it to make the dudes who have to go watch it like not hate you, right, um, or whatnot. Um, so that's I, so uh, knocked up fails as a comedy by this definition. Yeah, Knocked Up is a. I find Knocked Up to be a fairly dramatic movie, and like a fairly. I didn't. I didn't laugh a ton. I mean, I thought it was funny, but um, I thought that movie was pretty dark. 
you know um a lot of it yeah yeah he, like when he's sitting in the like his fancy new apartment and like totally alienated from his friends yeah it's dark yeah yeah so knocked up is definitely like uh, uh at the nexus of of comedy and drama in a useful way i like knocked up um but so i i but i guess I mean, that's tricky. I do think that Knocked Up is a drama. Oh, Knocked Up has pro- plausibility problems, too, but I guess they're not that bad. I mean, the, the movie that I really um, – one movie that I really like um, in this whole regard and one of my favorite romantic comedies is A Guy Thing, the, uh, the Jason Lee, Jen- uh, Julia Stiles, um, Selma Blair romantic comedy, um, which is a very formulaic romantic comedy, but it has just a touch of meta where um, the sort of – levels of understanding between the audience and the movie are teased out in interesting ways. Um, and in that movie, like they, they set up like he's with the girl and he's not supposed to be with the right girl. And then he meets the right girl. And is he going to be with her? Is he going to be with the original girl? Right? Like the thing that you don't do in a movie like that is fundamentally change the reality so that the girl that you knew was the wrong one for you at the beginning turns out to be the right one. Right. Um, you don't do that. You don't say like, Oh, like we know they're terrible for each other. She has some sort of transformation or he has some sort of transformation and now they're right for each other. You're, you're repudiating the basic fact that you've established the movie on, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, I'm, I'm trying to tackle a lot here. So I, I'm kind of like, maybe like the Python is kind of choking on the alligator it's, at this it's, point. It's the, um, uh, it's the grand unified theory of, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Maybe I have to, maybe I have to develop this into a post to talk about it more. Um, but yeah, but Mark, yeah, what, yeah I, want to, I want to take us a little bit of a tangent here. Um, yeah. you mentioned, uh, a, a little bit of a meta aspect of, a, of, a, of a romantic comedy. And I was thinking about, um, maybe not specific to that movie you're talking about, but more generally, are there ever those kind of, uh, those kind of moments in romantic comedies where the people realize that, Hey, all these things that are happening to me are just like things that all these romantic comedies that I see. Does that ever happen? Oh yeah. Oh, that, that happens all the time. I think that that's one of the founding principles behind the movie Valentine's day, right? Or something like that. Uh, or like, I mean, I haven't yeah. seen it, but I heard it was like that. There's a lot of meta about romance because you know you idealize the romance that the other people are having. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking like even more broadly than that. Like, um, yeah. how how rare it is that, for example, in zombie movies, that people think about the zombie movies that they've seen and use that to address the current zombie problem that they have. Right, 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 right. Well, I think that that yeah. I guess it. I guess the the sort of representation of a character in a romantic comedy, the relationship between that person mimetically and, you know, by, by way of imitation is what I mean by mimetically, um, and the person who is watching it is different than the relationship between the hero and a zombie movie and the person who is watching it. Um, because I, when I identify with the person that's in the zombie movie, I don't think that that's something that's actually going to happen to me, I guess. Although I guess maybe you don't think that way in a romantic Fool! <laughs> I know. Foolishness. Um, although that's kind of false because clearly I have been preparing for the zombie apocalypse, but with the giant store of food and, and canned goods down here. But um, no, yeah, it's uh, is, is this an idea that, that – I mean this is something that people put out there, and maybe I just buy into the critical cultural hype too much. But do people really think their movies are going to – their lives are going to be like romantic comedies? Like actually like romantic comedies. Like they're actually going to fall in love the way that people fall in love with romantic com- in romantic comedies. Do you know what I mean? Like, or is, or is that just sort of like something that people put out there as a way of incriminating media for perpetuating stereotypes that in fact, like are part of our culture in a more indirect way. Um, if that makes sense. Uh, I didn't follow that last part you said there, but oh, I think, so I think, I think people do subconsciously, they would never admit it, but they subconsciously do wish that, um, their lives would play out like those romantic comedies. With, with a single exception of sex in the city, which for many years, uh, ruined a lot of relationships. <laughs> 
Because yeah, every guy, that's, every guy that Sex in the City fan, uh, if you were dating a Sex in the City fan, she and her friends would immediately categorize you as one of the men that one of the characters on that show had dated, and then basically assigned to you his flaws. Ah. <laughs> um, I saw this happen both to me and to other people. Uh, and I say, I, with the, the, the Sex in the City 2 movie coming out will only revive this, so men, be aware. Uh, here, here's a piece of here's a piece of deep a deep cut of overthinking it trivia that I don't think anybody has. Um, the the question is, what overthinking it post did Pete start the longest amount of time ago that he has not yet finished, um, and that is still in like the drafts folder of the back end of the overthinking it website? Um, and the answer I think is uh, why my girlfriend loves Sex in the City more than me, which I started like two years ago with my girlfriend at the time, like she wanted me to write it. Um, and she was giving me information, and it was going to be a, a, like a, a dialogue between like me and my <laughs> she girlfriend. She was telling you. She was giving you information about why she liked Sex in the City more than you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was going to be ambiguous because it's part of part of it is why she likes it more than me, and part of it was that why she likes it more than I do, right? <laughs> um, but and it was going to be like a back and forth, like sort of. No, a thing that's counter- hold on. That's a <laughs> that's a straight. Uh, objective versus subjective case thing, right? Like, if it, you'd say why she likes it more than I, if you meant why she likes it more than I do, and you'd say why why she likes it more than me, if you meant why she likes it more than she likes me. Right. I meant more the latter than the former, I guess. We're gonna take it and use it to illustrate the finer points of grammar, Matt. Yeah, I think that's you know we gotta <laughs> turn things positive, just like that whole Confederate History Month. We gotta find a way to use it. <laughs> powers for good. Let's turn um, this so podcast teach a lot of people positive. about like the, the value. Okay. <laughs> Let's turn this podcast positive by going to the topic that we said that we would do anyway, which is uh, summer movies. We are, if you Google summer movies 2010 uh, in the top five search results or something should be the article that we are using, which is on movie-moron.com. Uh, they've they've split it in their cynical attempt for page views, which we would never do anything like this on Overthinking It. They've split it into four pages, which actually strikes me as good. At least it's not 20 pages or, you know what I mean? It, you know. Yeah, it's not one page per movie. It's one page per month. Yeah, it's a page. Oh, per month. I believe so, yes. Um, however, though, I do want to point out before we get started with the movies in May, that uh, when we did this last year, there was definitely the sense of a pre-summer movie period before May, which actually started in March with Watchmen, which yep. is pretty premature. But uh, I think, um, and uh, also Fast and Furious, right, Fast and Furious, and and uh, <laughs> Crank Two came out in April of last year. All oh, right, so so pursuance of that, I feel like we do need to include in in that uh, in, in our summer movie conversation the big uh, tent poles that are coming out in April. Um, is going to be possible? Can a tent pole come out in April? Um, anywho, oh, to, like, um, if you're watching Gettysburg, you can. That's for sure. Right, so that, that would include uh, Clash of the Titans, which I saw, and it was, it was pretty terrible, and I want to get too much into that. But also Kick-Ass, which is coming yeah, up. Yeah, Kick-Ass. That seems like, to, be the, to me, seems like the real uh, unofficial start of the Where, uh, movie season. I mean, I guess aside from the, uh, aside from the action sequences, the, um, the draw of that movie seems to be uh, that an adorable little girl says bad words. Oh my gosh! Chloe Moretz uh, swearing and uh, inflicting incredible violence upon people. Yeah, well, the incredible violence is par for the course. But like, you know, what have we? How decadent has our culture become? When you know, for our entertainments, we turn to uh, we turn to adorable little girl, girls saying bad words. 
Well, it's it's just such a uh, uh, it, it that the trailers that I've seen have such a transgressive quality about it. It's just really like, you know, taking whatever barrier, what you was previously being considered appropriate things to show children doing in movies and blowing way past them. The one specific thing I'm thinking of, I don't know if you guys have seen this. It was, uh, Nick Cage plays, uh, you know, hit girl's dad and he's, his character's name is the big daddy. And so as part of the training for this, um, he shoots his daughter with a gun, but she's wearing a bulletproof bulletproof vest. So she like hits the ground after being shot, and there's this moment of like, uh, you know, it's it's meant it's it's meant to be portrayed as you know being ambiguous with the outcome of that is, and then oh she gets up, oh that was, that's funny, I, I'm okay, you I know, mean, my bulletproof vest stopped it, uh-huh, it's funny, my dad shot me. It's weird, like you just don't you know you don't see that every day in the movies, unless you guys are watching totally different kind of movies than I am. I don't know, like you know, I don't know. Have you ever seen Battle Royale? <laughs> I've, I've heard tale of it. I haven't seen it though. You, you're supposed to bring that up in the romantic comedy section of the. Oh, movie. sorry, <laughs> sorry. Battle Royale. Or Mark, is a, Mark, is have a, you ever been to it? Go ahead. Battle Royale is a Japanese movie in which a um, a group of Japanese high school students are marooned together on an island and uh, given implements with which to kill each other, and the last one standing, you know, wins the battle royale. To bring, things, to bring things full circle, the other place where you can see fathers shoot their children in the chest is Civil War reenactments. <laughs> <laughs> Zing! All right, into the summer movies. Uh, May 7th, 2010, John Favreau directs Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, Mickey Rourke, Don Cheadle in Iron Man 2. Mm. Probably the biggest, the most anticipated movie of the summer, right? Yeah. And early, though. Early for the most anticipated movie of the yeah, summer. But it was, you know what? It was early two years ago, too, wasn't it? I think it actually it released in the same kind of pre-June window in, uh, in June, right? Uh, yeah, I think so, actually. Yeah, because it was pretty early on. It was before Dark Knight and everything when it came out, right? Because it was the same summer as Dark Knight, I remember. Because I remember liking Iron Man more than I liked Dark Knight and that being a controversial opinion to have. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, just because I thought that it was like, I guess I thought the movie was better. It was the acting in the movie was really good. Characters were really strong. Not that it, the Dark Knight didn't have some of the best acting, but I don't want to get into that right now because there's there's new ones that we get to watch. Um, is this, war. I know exactly. Now, is this movie going to suffer from sort of sprawl like so many of these contemporary Marvel sequels have? Right, where you enter into the second movie and you just like add a whole bunch of level layers of complexity. It's very possible. And, like you've already done your origin story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, okay, so, I, I, I have no idea what Scarlett Johansson's character is supposed to be in this. Is she supposed to be good or bad? Um, there's also uh, she's, a, black, she's black. Black Widow, right? Black Widow, right? But is. not being familiar with the Iron Man, you know, Marvel uh, comics right. uh, mythology, I, I have no idea what the Black Widow is supposed to be doing. And it's not revealed at all in the trailers yeah. what her function is going to be. This is also the very brief. <laughs> yes, it is, Mark. It's uh, her function is to wear really tight pants. Yeah, that uh, is her function. Yeah. It is. It is revealed in the trailer. Mm. <laughs> no, but yeah. the other thing is like Samuel L. Jackson. Like Nick is in, uh, what? Nick Fury, is that his name? Yeah. Yes. Um, Agent of Shield. He yes. appears very briefly, and then it's like, well, what's he doing in there? You know, how big of a role is Sam Jackson going to have in this? And Don Cheadle's War Machine. Yeah, yeah I, I think a lot of it's just. It seems like a lot of it is they're going to put some characters in there who are going to pay off later when they make the Avengers movie. Mm. 
Um, so my hope for it is that it's an Iron Man movie, and then they tack on a couple of scenes that are basically trailers for the Avengers movie. Right, right, right. Like, hopefully that's the way they go. Yeah. Rather than the sort of, you know, Spider-Man 90 character thing that they ended up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I will say this about Iron Man 2. In the original, like, not the original, but in the earliest rumors about this movie, and the earliest, like, summaries that were coming out, it really looked like the villain of this movie was going to be the Mandarin. Uh, do you remember when we podcasted about that? And I was like, oh, I, I hate that the Mandarin. Was set. I actually, we read some, we read some internet things that made it seem like that was, that was definitely it. Yeah, it was definitely going to be about. And I remember because I had talked for like twenty minutes about how I thought the Mandarin was stupid, like like so racist and so terrible, and how I hate him so much. And then you're yeah, like, I oh, believe by I, the way. I believe I mentioned that as well too. Yeah, uh, how could I have not gotten on that one, right? Exactly, exactly. And then at the end, you're like, by the way, Pete, Iron Man Two is going to have the Mandarin in it. It's like, no, oh man. So yeah, I mean, I guess maybe at some point someone will be like, yeah, you're glad I didn't wear my rings when I punched you in the face. But yeah. Oh, for the uneducated, by the way, the Mandarin is a Chinese guy with green skin who looks like an alien who has magical rings of, like, mystical energy that he uses to, like, enchant people. And he wears, like, a a very elegant silk robes of the sort that Marco Polo would have loved to have retrieved from the Orient, basically. And he has an awful (laughs) Fumanchu mustache. So, uh, anyway, go ahead, Josh, what you're saying. My my other concern for this is is the villain uh, Whiplash. Because if you think about it, like whiplash is not really something that we're afraid of. <laughs> um, it's sort of like having a villain called carpal tunnel syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, and yeah, he, you know, it's Mickey Rourke, and he's got some like, you know, he's sort of a gladiator type getup, and I'm sure he'll be scary. But to me, like, you know, the the sort of trial lawyer. Uh, stereotype disease uh, or, or syndrome is not something that we need to be terribly afraid of. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll leave that there. Yeah, yeah. He's going to end up wearing a neck brace for a lot of... It's Moving on! Uh, I do uh, hope that uh, Robert Downey Jr. ends up being okay. a neck brace. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. Ridley Scott's <laughs> Robin Hood starring Russell Crowe and Kate Blanchett. I am psyched for this. This is going to be all. This is going to bomb like Hiroshima, but it's going to be awesome. Um, I mean, maybe it won't bomb, but uh, I'm sorry, bomb like uh, Fort Sumter. Too I guess soon. is a better way of yes. saying it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I mean, because we talked about this, we talked about this. Matt and I, Matt and I, did you? Did we talk about this on? The podcast was outside the podcast where we talked about how State and Play failed. State of Play failed, even though it was a good movie. And how these sort of like star-driven movies, especially with this older generation of stars, aren't really pulling it in. And that relates to Blinky's post from last week, which everybody should go read. Was it Blinky's post? Or no, it wasn't Blinky's post. Who wrote that post about movie stars? Yeah, it was Blinky. Uh, Yeah. Blinky wrote a post last week about like movie stars losing their influence over the box office and how this was sad. And Russell Crowe's movie last year... Um, which I thought was pretty good about like sort of newspaper intrigue and, and political double crossery with Ben Affleck did very poorly in the box office. Um, and this movie looks like it might be poised to also do poorly just because, you know, it's a bunch of stars that like the mass movie going audience maybe doesn't care about as much anymore. Um, but I guess the marketing looks pretty slick. I hope it does well because I love Ridley Scott. I love Robin Hood. I love Russell Crowe. I really love Kate Blanchett. Um, and it's got William Hurt in it. So how can it go wrong? Right. 
Um, it can go wrong by not having Brian Adams do the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if, you're if you're watching, if you're watching the video that we're streaming now, I am comparing the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves poster with Kevin Costner shooting the burning arrow, and then uh, yeah. and then Robin and Marion kissing underneath a tree at the bottom of the poster, to the uh, Russell Crowe poster, which is a medium close-up. Uh, of uh, you know, looking down an arrow as as Robin sights, you know, it looks grittier, looks altogether grittier and less um, less sort of grandiose, and uh, it's uh, starring. It really leans heavily on Academy Award winner Russell Crowe and Academy Award winner Kate Blanchett. Uh, you know, in the uh, in the one sheet yeah. here. Well, it's basically going to be Gladiator, but with wood instead of marble, right? Uh-uh. <laughs> 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 I think Gladiator already had wood, but that's another matter. Sam no, no. KD in the uh, in the chat room says, "Will there any be any uh, this is Sparta type lines in Robin Hood?" And I was thinking, "This is Sherwood." <laughs> you know, it's you know, a, there was a great line in there's a great shouted battle line in um, in Prince of Thieves right at the beginning when. Uh, uh, when what's his name is going down, he rides into the he rides into the bad guys, shouting "God and King Richard," and uh, and you know rides into his death. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So what what's the tagline for this? It's like a prince uh, who became a crusader, a crusader who became an outlaw, an outlaw who defied a minor sheriff. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> a, a man who became a hero. A hero who became a homeless guy. A homeless guy <laughs> who became a public nuisance. Let's compare it, let's compare it with Prince of Thieves. Uh, for the good of all men and the love of one woman, he fought to uphold justice by breaking the law. <laughs> I hope that for the Brian Adams song, they skip straight to the DJ Sammy featuring Do remix uh, of the uh, like they have for other Brian Adams songs. That's a joke for our like fourteen year old listeners, I guess, or seventeen, I guess. I don't know. Uh, all our Facebook fans out there, I realize nobody in this call probably knows what I'm talking about when I talk about the DJ Sammy remix of a Brian Adams song. So never the, um, mind. You know, uh, okay. What's a quick- DJ? <laughs> Quick little rundown of Robin Hood uh, Robin Hood movies. There is, of course, Disney with the Fox, uh, right? Where where King, <laughs> King Richard is obviously a lion, I guess, and and uh, and John is, I guess, a little lion, like not a cool lion. Uh, yeah, the, the, the crown falls down over his eyes a lot. Right? He's, he's actually depicted as a female lion, isn't he? Sort of, he yeah, no a lion, yeah. a lion yeah. without the mane, or at least a lion who has not really attained his majority. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Robin and Marion are foxes. Um, uh, Little John is like Baloo the bear or something, right? Yes. And I believe uh, it's the same voice actor, too. Uh, he's just brown, yeah, instead of being gray, right? Yeah. And uh, oh, right, he's a brown bear. I forget what, who Friar Tuck is. What animal is Friar he's Tuck? Some sort of weasel. Uh, uh, then uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, Robin and Marion. Yeah, have you guys, have you guys seen Robin and Marion? That's the Sean Connery. Like they're in their sort of September of their years, having like a later latter day romance, and like everybody's old. Um, it's sort of like The Dark Knight Returns, except that like he returns to like uh, some sort of Prince of Tides. Marion, remember that time when I was very young and I could <laughs> shoot an arrow very far? That was awesome. That's odd because he plays her. <laughs> doesn't he play her uncle in Prince of Thieves? 
<laughs> that Yo, well, yeah, he plays. Yeah, he plays. Yeah, he plays Richard. <laughs> I mean, I say it's a Sean Connery movie. It's also an Audrey Hepburn. Robert, movie, Robert, but. and Marion subtitle: "You were the man once, dog." <laughs> <laughs> Punch the keys. I love that movie. <laughs> that's uh, oh, for overthinking listeners who don't get that, that's a a, um, a reference to one of our favorite films, Finding Forrester. Because yes. uh, it's about what we love to do, which a is classic. Yeah, which we recommend to you without reservations. Moving right along, Shrek Four Ever After. Kill it! Kill it with fire! Somebody, for Christ's sake, put that thing out! I'm oh, sorry. I know other listen, people like Listen, it. if he doesn't do this, he's just going to make another Austin Powers movie. No, they're working like on another my- Austin Powers movie. Yeah. I was reading on, on either one of the trades or one of the entertainment sites I read. Uh, they're doing another Austin Powers movie. Damn it. Else, none of the new characters are panning out. I mean, the love guru was more like the love guru-poo. <laughs> that was kind of meta, because that was like a love guru joke. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, I, I, they should just do a spin-off movie about Mike Myers' character from Inglorious Bastards. That would be one I would watch that. That would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was fantastic. He was fantastic in Inglorious Bastards. He was yeah, yeah, yeah. When he said Operation Kino and he stretched the last syllable of Kino into like five syllables. I thought <laughs> that is that is a professional, you know. i don't want to spend too much time talking about shrek but i just wanted to point out um if you look at the imdb ratings for the three previous shrek movies this is how they go uh first one is an Mm 8.0 second one is 7.5 last one is (laughs) 6.1 so based on that i think we can expect this one to settle in somewhere in the fives well, it's a it's a it's a wonderful life movie, is what it is. It's a movie where like Shrek is getting bored and he needs to, and he's like he doesn't like his life, and then they show him what happens if he was never born, and they it's like oh no, it's a horrible hellscape, like you know, gosh, Shrek, you're really awesome, and we should keep making movies forever because if you weren't here, the world would be worse. Believe it or not. Um, <laughs> so wait, is that the is the Robin Hood song the hamster dance? Is that yes. what you guys are doing? Yeah, <laughs> the Robin Hood song. Yeah, it's it's sung by the balladeer Rooster. Oh, okay. right, and it's pretty low in the in the Disney Robin Hood movies, like do 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 do. Yeah, oh god, lots of great little songs. Every town has its ups and downs. Sometimes up, so sometimes number down. the downs. Uh, Have you guys actually gone to hamsterdance.com anytime recently? Yes, uh, I did. Yeah. It, it took me back. Took me way back. <laughs> Brought it they've to me to my tracks. They've got classics. They've like turned them into characters. They've really tried to milk this thing, which I thought ended like <laughs> seven years ago. Merchandising. <laughs> back when it took half an hour to download the hamster dance. Yeah, you know I'm gonna, what? I'm I, find, yes. I, I would go to hamster dance, but I don't have real video installed anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right, twenty eighth May. Wait, 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 wait! Real quick, real quick. The, so the the other appearance of Shrek these days is in the like P uh well, the PSA uh, ads telling kids to go outside and play. Have you seen this? <laughs> no. It's like Shrek and Donkey encouraging kids to like. There's a little song like "Get Up, Get Up," and it, it's it's an ad on Hulu a lot if you watch any Hulu. Um, but it's basically telling kids to like stop playing video games and go out and play. And then at the end of the ad, they tell the kids the website to go to to learn how to play outside. 
which is just kind of fantastic. That's fantastic. That's great. (laughs) And they acknowledge it. Donkey's like, don't stay too long on the website, but it's still just like the very concept that you need a website to know how to play outside. Yeah, to teach you how to play. How do we know instructions to know how to rock? If you have to, if you have to ask. All right, counterprogrammed on May twenty eighth on May twenty eighth, twenty ten. Prince of Persia: The Sands of Time, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, and Sex in the City two, starring Sarah Jessica Parker. I have a point to make. Sorry, I didn't know anything about Prince of Persia. Has anyone heard anything about that? It's based on a video game. Yeah, right. Also, the tagline for Prince of Persia is "Defy the Future." Now, this is a set in medieval Persia, and Prince of Persia <laughs> is actually, you can literally translate that to Shah of Iran. <laughs> like, Persia and Iran, like, in Iran, they still call it Persia, and Shah and Prince are the same word. So, this is Shah of Iran, Defy the Future, set in medieval Iran. So, I think it's, I think the whole thing is sort of Persian propaganda uh, setting up, you know, to fight the uh, the the takeover in the eighties. Well, if that if all the whole Prince of Persia franchise is propaganda by like exiles from the Shah's regime, that original Macintosh game did a terrible job because that didn't make me want to overthrow the government at all. It just made me want to not jump off that freaking cliff again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of falling into pits in the, in yeah. the original Prince of Persia game. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I played the Sands of Time. I played the first, the first like sort of rebooted Prince of Persia game. I didn't play the one where he has like Dark Link or whatever going on. It's a fun game, you know. If you're gonna make a video game into a movie, it has a lot of jumping and like it's pretty cinematic and it's got a cool like little, um, you know, cool little sort of gimmick with the whole dagger that reverses time and all that stuff. Um, so I'm look, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'll probably, will I probably see this movie. I mean, there. I guess I'll see Robin Hood. I, I don't. I'm not seeing a whole bunch of stuff that's really jazzing me here. I guess Iron Man two and Robin Hood are fine, but um, you know, I don't know. I don't get that sense from these that these are the same sort of like. You don't frivolous. want to watch Sex in the City two, Pete? Oh, I didn't watch the first one, so I feel like I wouldn't be able to keep up. Uh, I wouldn't be able to understand what was happening. <laughs> here, let me give you the let me give you the plot of the first one. Uh, despite okay. a series of complicating factors. Uh, love conquers all, and uh, it works out in the end for the lovers. So what's in the sequel? They bring in Whiplash? Is that what happens? <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question. In, in the Sex and the City universe, they ever, is there ever any acknowledgement of economic hardship? I mean, because these girls aren't, like, aren't they the definition of overleveraged? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brescia is a newspaper columnist. Like, she's yeah. almost certainly unemployed at this point. Yeah, how does she afford those shoes? <laughs> Their cheap credit is over. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think that's part of the fantasy, right? It's that they all have these outrageous lifestyles and stuff, despite the fact that, like, well, 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 let me think. So Miranda and Samantha are both very professionally successful, right? And Charlotte comes from a fancy family with a lot of money, right? Yes. Um, so the three of them have a lot of money. And we're to understand that Carrie Bradshaw is actually, like, really, really famous and successful in the world of Sex to the City. Although they don't really play it that way, right? In order to be as, as uh, like, well-paid... She's also married... Of- she's, at the end of the movie, she's married to Big, who is a, you know, Donald Trump level of, except good, you know, of real right. estate developer. Right, 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 right. But, I mean, during the course of the show, like, in order to keep her lifestyle up, she probably has to be, like, at least, like, on Maureen Dowd level of, like, newspaper columnists, right? Right. Uh, and, and yet, surprisingly few people seem to really 
really know or care who she is when they run into her, right? Um, yeah, it's I not mean, like she, the... yeah, she can sit out in the sidewalk cafes and whatnot. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, without without much problem. But you said that you said that Big is a real estate developer. Please God, please God, tell me that he loses all of his money in the second movie. Wouldn't that? That would be, be pretty. That awesome. would be great. That would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if they did it, yeah. I feel like it almost big, like, more like medium. Yeah. Or they lose their condo, and the next one's sex in Queens. He may, he may, <laughs> hey, he may, he may be big, but he's not too big to fail. Oh. <laughs> So it's sex Wait, we got to move on because because coming up is the is the gemstone of the whole thing. Uh, the gemstone. Okay, yeah. let's do. Well, let's do one. Uh, wait, the first. Is this one the one you're you... really? This is the one you're really excited about, right? The yeah. one that you're really, really like, really amped up for. The next one on our list, right? Like the very next one, not the one that's two from this one. No, 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 no. But the next no, one on our list is on Fourth uh, of June, 2010, Killers with Catherine Heigl. <laughs> And Ashton no. Kutcher. And Ashton and Tom Kutcher. Selleck. No, passing, <laughs> Most importantly, that, Tom Selleck. Passing over that yeah. uh, entire, yeah. uh, entirely. Liam Neeson, Bradley Cooper, uh, Charito uh, Copley, Rampage Jackson, and Jessica Biel in June 11th. <laughs> if you can find them. Can we just do that for the rest of the podcast? That'll make me really happy. Uh, yes, the A-Team. Okay, Josh, go for it. No, that's it. I just wanted to sing the song a little bit and hear people say the words, the A-Team. This was the, this was the formative show of my childhood. This is like me sitting on the arm of my dad's chair watching this every week. Like, I am so psyched for this movie. I don't know, uh, th- Josh. I-, I hate to say it, but I pity the fool who thinks that he can take capture that uh, that uh, that magic in that bottle and then recreate it. Listen. This. It's going to be director, tough. Director Joe Carnahan, of whom I know nothing. I've put absolute faith in him. <laughs> Have you seen the trailers? The trailers actually look pretty good. They look good. I think, it's, I think they're going to find the right level of sort of tongue-in-cheek, but, like, I want to see four men locked in a garage who then build a tank. <laughs> like, stuff that's in the garage. Like, I want to see that again. I haven't seen it in too long. I've tried to rewatch some old A-Team episodes, and it really just doesn't hold up. <laughs> Like not even close. It's, like not it's at just, all. It's like the, it's like the Dukes of Hazard, but worse. It's it's just like yeah. oh man, yeah yeah yeah. But in you know, a, I feel in, like in like in a world of human target, we can't uh, we can't watch the A Team anymore. <laughs> I really they should do an A Team, which is that takes place during Reconstruction, about a bunch of people who are in prison during the <laughs> Civil War. For <laughs> but the question is, should they be Northerners loose in the South or Southerners loose in the North? Um, or you know, should they just be in Texas? I don't know. I guess they have to be Confederate soldiers who are like writing wrongs in the North, which would be pretty difficult for people to watch, especially if one of them was black. Well, no, these are, I mean, the, the A-team are American soldiers. There could be, it could be Yankee soldiers loose in the North. Oh, right. And they're framed for like, like a war crimes. They're, yeah. They're, they're, they're framed. For, they're like framed for, you know, the burning of Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, who did that? Somebody did that. <laughs> <laughs> who burned Atlanta to the ground? Sherman's like, uh, it was... It was the the African American with the mohawk. Yeah. <laughs> Guy can't take crap around here without somebody burning down Atlanta. This is ridiculous. Hey, you guys, there is actually sort of a, a very tenuous but actually existing connection between the A Team and the Civil War, right? Because it wasn't Mr. T's gold chains were all supposed to represent you know, the chains of slavery, or am That's I totally right. making that up? No, yeah, because he was also his. Even if you are, let's run with it. <laughs> 
I think they were. I don't know. The thing is, it's tough with Mr. T because his character that he plays in the A-Team, like, there's that intermediary level of reality between the actual man and, like, his fictional characters, right? Because he keeps so many of the accoutrement and costume elements from one part, and when he takes them into another part, right? So he wears the chains and he has the mohawk and a whole bunch of different parts. Are we supposed to believe that this character has the mohawk for the same reason in every single thing that Mr. T is in? Right? Because Mr. T says that it's, like, representative of... Because he says he's from the Mandinga tribe in, in Africa, right? Is what it represents. It's like uh, the, uh, the Mohawk of a Mandinga warrior or something like that. Uh, uh, I heard sure. That yeah, you're, yeah, I'm yeah. sure your Mr. T knowledge far outpaces that of mine. But I'm sure that it's also, like, poor knowledge on his part and, like, probably not necessarily, like, with a great deal of accuracy. But Mr. T was a very positive fellow, you know, drinking milk, wearing gold chains because they were so, symbolized, like, the slavery and also the gold, you know, symbolized Africa and whatnot. Um, I, I hope I, the yeah, will he make a cameo in this movie? Is he okay? Like, is Mister T sick again? I mean, he was making a comeback for a while there. I know he was really sick, and that's why what drove him out of hiding. Um, but uh, is is he doing all right? Does anybody know? Um, I guess probably uh, not, because we give Mister T his his privacy because we pity the tool, the fool who disturbs it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're going to uh, we're going to look up Mister T on Wikipedia right now. Mister T. <laughs> Uh, born May twenty first, nineteen fifty two. Uh, we mm-hmm. should uh, we should observe that on overthinking it. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Occupational Wikipedia given. We should call as... it Tea Day. Tea Day would be great. Uh, <laughs> we, we could have a tea party. Yeah. Oh, 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 yes. oh, oh. Party week, excellent. That'd be too, great. Too soon. <laughs> 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 or we could just like, we could organize it as sort of a little a little like a simultaneous event where like let's have everybody who listens to overthinking it have like Mr. T themed gatherings on the same day at like Tea Party Day on like May twenty first as we all like celebrate. Uh, Mr. T, T born in Chicago May twenty first nine fifty two occupation actor motivational speaker wrestler bodyguard TV personality. Uh, right. He grew up. His in- occupation should just be T. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He grew up, a little piece of trivia, he grew up in the Robert Taylor Homes, a uh, high-rise housing project in Chicago, which is the location of the book that Sheely and I talk about on the, uh, the uh, These Fornicating T- Teenagers uh, podcast called Gang Leader for a Day by the uh, political scientist or sociologist Sudhir Venkatesh. Anyway, um, let's see, nothing... Uh, you just read Freakonomics, you didn't actually read the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have not read Freakonomics, but I uh... – You've missed out. Well, actually, that may, that's good because it's one of the best books to not read and to talk about anyway. Uh, yes. In 2005, <laughs> Mr. T stated that he would never wear his chains again. He arrived at this decision after seeing the effects of Hurricane Katrina. However, he has been uh-huh. seen wearing some chains for several commercial appearances, uh, such as the 2007 UK, Ireland, Australia, and New Zealand Snickers advertisement and the 2007 <laughs> World of Warcraft ad. He can be seen wearing some chains in the 2009 World of Warcraft ad, where he introduces the new game Night Elf Mohawk Grenade. New in-game. Oh, the Night new Elf in-game Night, Night Elf Mohawk Grenade. Uh, there you go. Nothing about his. Uh, nothing about his hell. Listen, I, I like what uh, I like what poster Evie Debs has to say, which is that uh, since Katrina, he has not worn any large large gold chains either. <laughs> and uh, I think we should all get on that train. I yeah, think we should absolutely. all up our chains. We we uh, we overthinkers pledge not to wear large gold chains for at least the next week. 
until the uh, <laughs> until the next podcast uh, next week, where you can find us in the live stream on Sunday. Uh, but if you can't come on Sunday, drop us a line at podcast at overthinkingit.com or by calling the voicemail at 203-285-6401 and leave your latitude and longitude. Can't stand these people who write in and don't know you need to leave your latitude and longitude. I, as, as Mr. T says, I pity the fool who doesn't leave their latitude and longitude. Or visit us <laughs> uh, between episodes on the week at, uh, during the week at www.overthinkingit.com, the site where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't Our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation. Dun 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 Remix, remix, yeah. <laughs> Mash up. AZ theme and the hamster dance song. <laughs> Solid gold. Mr. T is Vincent Circle.